Hey y'all, it's Jesse. Hope you are having a great holiday season. Our team at The One Recipe is taking a brief hiatus, but don't worry, we will be right back on your feed on January 3rd. In the meantime, here's one of our favorite episodes from season one. Happy New Year, y'all. I'm Soleho. I am the restaurant critic at the San Francisco Chronicle and host of the Chronicle's food podcast, Extra Spicy. So one fun fact about me that I don't think people know is that I was on an episode of Reading Rainbow when I was in preschool. And, you know, the book that we had to read that we practiced talking about in class didn't end up being the book they wanted us to talk about on the show. So they just fed us lines about the book. It was a total sham. Sorry. I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is The One Recipe, a podcast that nudges wonderful chefs and talented cooks with a simple question. What is your one recipe? The one you cherish regardless of whether you're at home, work, or just on the road. This week, we're appreciating the art of simplicity with Soleil Ho. Soleil is a James Beard award-winning restaurant critic for the San Francisco Chronicle and the host of the Chronicle's Extra Spicy podcast. Some folks at home might recognize Soleil's name from their previous podcast, Racist Sandwich. Soleil, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's so cool to see you in this role. I'm excited. Very much the same to you as well. Congratulations on the new season. Congratulations on, you know, that newly minted uh, glistening, glimmering little, you know, casual award that you just got. Uh, do you want to <laughs> tell people all about it? Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, so I have been <laughs> thrice nominated for James Beard Awards um, in past years. And this is my first win for restaurant criticism. So I'm super excited about that. I did not go to the ceremony, but I'm hoping that the medal that they mailed to me is made out of chocolate. <laughs> that would be great. Oh my God, that would be the dream. It's like the chocolate medal, an actual medal, and then a chocolate orange just for good measure. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so retro. <laughs> that's very James Beard, too. You know, got to throw it back every now and then. But Soleil, it's it's so good to have you on the show. I've loved the podcast, Extra Spicy, that you've been that you've been leading. I've loved following your, your criticism and just seeing all of the waves that you've been making in the industry. So I'm, I'm just so glad to be able to chat with you now. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're so nice. So... One of the things I w- I've always been curious to hear about your specific relationship to restaurant criticism is just kind of how you made your own space. Did you have a kind of clear vision of what you wanted to say or what you wanted to bring to restaurant criticism? Or was it more of just a, let me figure it out as I go? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I came into the food media world as definitely an outsider. Although I'm from New York, I did not ever work in New York. So I was totally outside of that sort of like, New York Times, Condé Nast, Orbit, that I think sucks in a lot of like food writers out there. <laughs> Not to say that's a bad thing necessarily. Sometimes it is. Um, but I worked in restaurants for a long time and I kind of saw firsthand just like the impact of food media materially on the lives of restaurant people and how much, you know, people were really cynical about food media and food critics, that food critics just weren't really interested in the mom and pops or immigrant restaurants or restaurants that weren't necessarily splashy or media savvy. And so that's kind of what I came up in during my career. It was just like all of that, you know, conversations every day with my coworkers about like, oh, did you read this review? They're so stupid. (laughs) You know, I think a lot of people do that, but especially in in the restaurant world that takes on a very interesting pitch and people are very invested. 
So in 2015, I want to say, or 2016, gosh, I don't know, it feels like a million years ago, I started a podcast called Racist Sandwich while I was working at a restaurant in Portland. I started it with a friend, Zahir John Muhammad, who was a journalist. And we, <laughs> uh, yeah, we were a podcast. We we were really frustrated with food media and just about how, you know, there were token sort of demonstrations of solidarity with people of color and, you know, non-white, non-cis, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yep. And we thought it would be one, like just a great method of showing like you can have stories that are really interesting and nuanced and fun about people of color in the food world. And it wouldn't have to be February, right? For Black History Month, it wouldn't have to be (laughs) June for LGBT Pride Month. Like it could just be all the time. And we also spent a lot of time on social media talking like (laughs) major crap about everyone everywhere. It was very freeing. I, I kind of miss that time. Oh, right. <laughs> right. No, at the time, what was really great was that we had no skin in the game. Like, mm-hmm. truly. Zaheer never did any food writing. I was just a, I mean, I was a chef. So being friends with, like, I don't even know who, like, Adam Rappaport just wasn't even on my radar. Like, it didn't matter yep. to me. And that was great. So <laughs> from there, I mean, that all kind of built up to how I feel about criticism and restaurant criticism. And from the get-go, I was a critic of the food world in many respects, but never so formalized as I am now. (laughs) Well, let me just say, it has been a a joy to kind of see you go through the formalization process, but all the while stay very true to yourself. I think one of the things that I've, I've loved about following your criticism and your writing is that you find this way to walk a very hard line um, between (laughs) being uber cynical of everyone and everything all the time, while also still being very compassionate and empathetic and understanding of the people that you're writing about and the situations and circumstances that you're also critiquing. So are there any other people that you kind of look to in terms of their critical voice or just the way that they think about and talk about and relate to food? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, Jonathan Nunn is one of my favorite writers and editors out there. He started this Substack newsletter called Vittles out in the UK, and it just is one of the most thrilling publications out there. And he, as a general rule, tries to bring on folks who have never really done any food writing and bring a really interesting perspective to their food ways. And oh gosh, like every article is like so exciting and cool to read. And I always feel so much professional jealousy, you know, like, <laughs> oh <my laughs> I gosh. wish I had done this or like, I wish I had this idea. <laughs> Thankfully, it's across the pond. So if I steal any of the ideas, like it's, I think it's fine. <laughs> right, right. It's uh, the journalism community. Right. Yeah. No, but that's such a great selection. And Fiddles is truly, truly wonderful. Are there any other people that you look to or have been really just kind of enamored by recently? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, every time I don't feel like I know how to write and that's like every day I pick up my copy of And They Can't Kill Us Till They Kill Us by Hanif Abdurraqib. Yes. <laughs> I just flip through, right? I read like an essay about like pop punk or or God, you know, his <laughs> his adventures in Ohio and I'm just like, okay, okay, I can do this. I am inspired. It is like a shot of sunshine to my spine to read his work. It's such brilliant music criticism and also just memoir and I yeah, it just brings me back. So then Slate, to kind of shift the focus back to you a little bit more. Um 
can you tell me a little bit more about the cook that you are and, you know, how you kind of approach home cooking? Yeah. So I, the first three years of my restaurant critic life, I, I've been eating out maybe like six times a week, which is a lot. And so I've been, I've been making an effort <laughs> this year to cook more at home. And honestly, I'm a salad person now. I never thought I would be a salad person being from New York City where like all the produce is garbage. I'm sorry, but it's true. <laughs> Now that I'm in the Bay Area, I can get really great produce anytime, and it's just such a privilege, and I'm so spoiled. So I just make the most bonanza sort of salads with tinned fish or, like, leftovers from work. Like, I've been eating salads, like, topped with king crab legs for the past like, Oh, week. my God. <laughs> so I'm pretty improvisational. Like, I, I, I live among fresh produce and, like, whatever sauces I can put on it, basically. So now I have to ask, what is your one recipe? For me, okay, and uh, Vietnamese people who are listening, do not yell at me. <laughs> it's the scallion oil, and uh, I have, I've been practicing how to say it for like two weeks now. It's called mơ hàn, and it is just this simple, wilted scallion oil that is just adds so much umami to anything. You put it on like sticky rice, you put it on grilled meat, toast, grilled corn. It's just one of my favorites. And like also like the most basic, basic thing that anyone can make. So what is it about the scallions that really sings in this oil? So you put chopped scallions in neutral oil, right? You don't want to put it in like olive oil or coconut oil, just something very, very plain. And you just put it on the burner at like low, super low, just mm -hmm. enough to heat up the oil, give the scallions some color, make them wilt, and just sort of leach out their essence into the oil. And depending on the age of the scallions, if they're older or younger, you might add some sugar to add a little bit of sweetness and then some salt. And that's that's it. It is so simple. It is elemental. It is a building block kind of flavor. In Japanese cooking, Mm -hmm. Ramen shops, for instance, will make a garlic oil that they will sprinkle over the ramen at the last minute. In many like parts of India, they make like a sort of last minute spice oil, right? That they'll just throw in to the pot at the last minute before serving. Like this is a very similar principle where this is a garnish, a, a drizzly sort of oil. It adds a vegetal element that I think is often missing when it comes to like rice noodles, like a pile of rice noodles or grilled meat. Like it really refreshes each bite with something sunny. And one of the things that I love about your selection is that it's not necessarily fighting or trying to overwhelm anything that you're adding it to, right? It sounds like you're only just giving it that last little nudge, you know, giving it the last little bump to really brighten things up, to bring levity back into into some of the meals that can feel a little a little stodgy or a little heavy sometimes. Right. Yeah. And the the key too, when you're cooking mm -hmm. it is that you don't want anything to brown. You don't want anything to sizzle. It really is just like wilting it barely so that you don't have any of that like Maillard flavor to kind of push up or like, you know, punch uh, up against <laughs> like the other stuff that might be more aggressively flavored. So when we're dropping the scallions into the oil, we're, what sounds are we listening for? We're not looking for that like raucous applause or the bubbling and sizzling, right? Are we looking for like a gentle bubble here and there or? 
it's a gentle bubble because the scallions are probably, I mean, they, they have moisture in them. So there's going to be a reaction, but you don't want like a sizzle because that, if it's a sizzle, you take everything off the heat and just like leave it and then you're good. Some people will put the scallions in a colander suspended over a bowl and then pour the oil over in that way so that there's no chance of any browning. That's a little too complicated for me. Like usually right. when I make it, it's more improvisational and like, you know, it's just for me. So I don't want to clean too many dishes. <laughs> I don't blame you one bit, especially not for something that is so simple if we just let it be. Um, can you tell me about what are your favorite ways to use it? Sure. So my family is really into barbecues, although I didn't eat a steak until college. Our barbecues are more just like uh, like little ground beef skewers or corn or marinated pork with lemongrass. And one of our favorite sort of appetizers would be slicing a baguette into rounds, grilling it slightly, like toasting it on the grill, and then just using a brush or a spoon to put that scallion oil on top and just having that as a little snack. That is just king. That is the best bite possible in the universe. <laughs> oh my gosh, already. I'm just like, can we can we mass produce this? Like can I can we just like fill up swimming pools with this stuff? Um, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that and like when you grill corn, like it, it's really good with starch, you know, you just ladle it over the corn and it just seeps into all the little kernels, you know, all the channels and it's just every bite is like so full of umami and crunch. Ugh, love it. I did cook this as part of a, a bigger sort of menu set for a cooking competition. <laughs> Casual flex, okay, here it comes. Yeah, and, and like I gave it to Thomas Keller and I don't I don't think he got it, you know, and that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I'm not it's mad okay. about it. You know, people are entitled to their wrong opinions. It's we forgive them. <laughs> it's it is what it is. Well, Soleil, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been really great to have you and to just see all that you've been getting into. Thank you. Solejo is the restaurant critic at the San Francisco Chronicle and the host of the podcast, Extra Spicy. You can find the recipe for Soleil's scallion oil on Instagram at the.one.recipe and at theonerecipe.org. This week's episode was made for you by producer Erica Romero, associate producer Ren Farrell, technical director Cameron Wiley, and digital producer James Napoli. Sally Swift is our managing producer. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The One Recipe was created by Sally Swift and Erica Romero. I'm Jesse Sparks. This is APM Studios. Go make some magic. <laughs>